Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, hopefully you enjoyed part one of my chat with Henry. We covered some good ground and part two is no different. In this episode, Henry and I are going to discuss Crosby, Stills, and Nash's first album cover. We're going to talk about Neil Young and we've got to discuss Woodstock. Henry's going to tell us what it was like to be on the festival grounds as they were getting set up and the moments that will forever stay with him and even what it was like to experience Jimi Hendrix's performance, one that still moves people immensely today. And speaking of memorable moments, I had one while recording this episode, though I did omit it from the final cut, but it was getting my photo taken by Henry a few times while we chatted. I mean, you gotta scream it from the rafters when you get your photo taken by one of the greatest rock photographers of all time. But I digress. Right now, we're going to join part two as Henry talks about Jackson Brown's first album cover. So let's jump in. You know, we, Gary and I also did Jackson Brown's first album cover. It's just, a, it's a water bag with, a, with a, a posterization portrait of him on the cover. Yeah. And so Gary, in order to make it look like a real water bag, he had the words saturate before using yeah. at the top of the, of the water bag, right? Because that made it look real. And it was really just called Jackson Brown. But over the years, people thought that was a title. In fact, when they put the CD out, they would put on the spine, saturate before using, Jackson Brown. You know, that is crazy. Jackson talks about it. He said, yeah. He said, I had a girlfriend who thought that had a sexual meaning. She thought it was cool. I could see that. I could. <laughs> so he didn't tell her the truth. <laughs> so in that case, funny. But in case of the Morrison Hotel, it worked. That automatically became the title without any any discussion, you know. But, oh, it was perfect. Yeah. And and jumping back to to when you, you know, we're talking about Crosby, Stills and Nash, their um, <laughs> self-titled album. You took that photo on that couch in front of that dilapidated house on Palm Avenue. Exactly. I lived two blocks away for years. For years. It was where I moved from my previous place, which was right next to um, the Sunset Marquee. So I moved from next door to this place. And when I heard that story, I was getting my car washed. Across the street. street. Yes. By the Orange Julia stand and the car wash. Yes, Yes. exactly. And I'm looking across the way and I'm thinking, well, this is a sushi joint now, I think. Uh, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) And I'm looking 
like going, oh, there once stood that house of that iconic album cover. Yeah. I know, you so know, cool. we that day we, we were just, they were in the middle of their first album and we weren't really getting an album cover. They had no picture whatsoever to put in Billboard to say, hey, these three superstars are making an album. They had yeah. nothing to announce their their new trio, you know. So did, we just went out to shoot a bunch of pictures that day. And we were driving around West Hollywood. And Graham said, you know, I saw this funky little house. I think it's up one of these streets. And we found it. They sat on the couch. And, of course, that, that story goes that they sat on the couch in a random order because they hadn't named themselves yet. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they didn't know what might have been Stills, Crosby, and Nash, you know, <laughs> anything. And um, so we took the picture, and they were, in fact, they were in that order. It was, it was, it was Nash, Stills, and Crosby just the opposite of what they finally decided to call themselves. So in the week that it took to get the film developed and get them back and have a slideshow and look at them and they all, everybody said, wow, you know, that would make a great album cover, even though we weren't going for that, except that we're now we're going to call ourselves Crosby, so that, and we're, and we're backwards in that picture. <laughs> and someone said, well, we well, can flip the picture over Oh, but then, but then the Steve would be holding the guitar, you know, the wrong yeah. way. And yeah. so I remember just saying, hey, let's just go back. I mean, it's so simple. You jump on the couch in the right order, one roll of film, and we're out of there, you know. So we did a couple of days later, jumped in a car. It was Gary's old Ford station wagon. And we drove there to the house and it was gone. It was an empty lot. In fact, all the... It was a bunch of, of, of timber at the back of the parking lot. They just bulldozed the whole thing down. And they actually built a parking lot. To this day, it's a parking lot. And it was right around the time of Joni Mitchell's song, Pave Paradise, put up oh, a Put up a parking lot. lot. <laughs> yeah. So appropriate. Well, speaking of, uh, and I don't want to jump topics here, but you, you're getting me thinking. I've got all these, you know, sure. these moments in my head I want to, I want to touch on before I exhaust you. Um, okay. <laughs> when you're talking about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, I'm thinking about Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and you did some amazing photos of Neil Young uh-huh. up at Broken Arrow Ranch, yes. I think, in, in like '71. And I just wanted to ask you about those, what it was like working with him. He's such an enigma still to this day, you know? He's such an amazing guy, you know? He's just an amazing guy, uh, Neil. And I knew him from the Buffalo Springfield, you know, from the folk days. He knew about my folk group, you know? He'd come to town. And and, um, I don't know if he ever saw us play, but he sure knew that I was in a folk group. And so we were fellow musicians, you know? That's how I knew him. Right. And then Gary, on his own, had gotten to be really good friends with Neil and sort of was kind of his art director. And mm. so since we both knew Neil, it was a cinch, you know, we'd go up there on a weekend and, and, and spend the night and wake up the next morning and walk around the, the ranch, you know, and look at, he had emu, emus, emus. <laughs> However you say Those it. Big birds like ostriches, yeah. <laughs> And he had a flock of geese and he had cows. He had a buffalo herd up on a hillside. Wow. It wow. was so, so wonderful. And we'd get up in the morning and walk around and just, and I would just take pictures. I mean, it wasn't a job. I mean, it was just, that's what I did, you know. Mm-hmm. And Gary knew that. And so did Neil. I mean, it was unsaid that I would be there taking pictures of everything because I couldn't help it, you know. And, and then we'd collect all these pictures. 
At first, they got used in songbooks. They would put out these songbooks, you know, for each album. And inside would be a whole bunch of photos. They don't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't do them anymore because the publishing companies realized that, that <laughs> they were paying me a couple hundred bucks a page to use these photos. And there might be eight of them in a songbook. And they said, hey, you know, we could save, you know, 15, 1600 bucks if we just don't put any pictures in there. You yeah. know, people will buy them anyway for the music. So that, that era passed, you know, but for a while there in the early 70s, a lot of my pictures got used in songbooks when they were cool. Um, so, yeah, we'd have so much fun just laughing and carrying on with, with, with Neil, you know. I mean, sitting in his living room and he played the guitar and, you know, we could, you know, eat lunch and walk around some more. And it was just great. It was really fun. Hangout, hangout days, you know. Hangout. Was he yeah. quiet, like like a gym, or was he a little bit more gregarious? Oh, no, no. He wasn't like Jim at all. He laughed a lot. He was very uh-huh. funny. He liked to laugh. Of course, it goes unsaid. You know, we were smoking a little God's herb. You know, I mean, <laughs> I do slideshows, and after a while, I say to the audience, you know, you know, we all were smoking this, this grass, you know. And um, we called it, I called it grass, you know, people called it pot. Um, and now I call it God's herb because it is God's herb. It heals children with, uh, you know, that are, that are having epileptic fits. I think, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I say to the crowd, I say, how do you think all that music came out of Laurel Canyon? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so true. One day in our gallery, when we first opened up in New York 20 years ago, it was only my pictures at first. And, and, and so the, all the walls had my pictures and a guy walked in and he was standing next to me looking around and he said, Hey, did you ever smoke pot with any of these people? And, uh, I looked around and I said, every single <laughs> one of them, you know, except for Donnie Osmond, you know, I never smoked with Michael Jackson. I don't know what his brothers did. I'm maybe sure. Yeah. Maybe it's good. You didn't. Really, I mean, it was not a big deal. It was, it was kind of just like drinking a glass of orange juice, it just sort of set the day out. You know, it just, I mean, it made, it made life really cool. It made your mind sort of think, you know, it, it was, a, it's a, it, I mean, to this day, it's, it's a wonderful thing, you know? Well, and speaking of which, and, and I might be switching gears again here, but it, there was definitely a lot of God's herb present, um, Woodstock. Yeah. So I have to ask you about Woodstock, and you know I've been wanting to ask you about this for, my God, from the yeah. moment I met you. <laughs> and, you know, I can sit here and say, Henry, what was your favorite moment, blah, 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 yeah. which I probably will. But I have seen some pictures you've taken before the concert started. Right. So you got out there a few days before and you would take pictures. Two weeks pictures. before. Two weeks before. Yeah. And you took pictures of the field. You took mm-hmm. pictures of the stage being put together. Yeah. yeah. When you saw this happening, did you have an idea of how big it was going to be Heck no. and get excited? Or did you think, holy shit, excuse my language, this <laughs> stage is nowhere near ready? <laughs> <laughs> None of those thoughts. You know, that whole thing started, as I sometimes say, with a phone call. I'm in in my kitchen in Laurel Canyon up on Lookout Mountain Avenue. The phone rings, and it's my old lighting friend, Chip Monk. Edward Beresford Monk is his name. And, and of course, all his life he was called Chip. 
chipmunk. Anyway, <laughs> he did the lighting at Monterey Pop. He did the light. He did them for folk shows. So I knew him as a guy on the road, you know. And he called me. He said, Henry, we're going to have a huge concert here in a few weeks, and you should be out here. And I said, really, Chip, I've heard about it, I think, but I don't really know those people. How am I going to, you know, get a photo pass? And he said, well, I'll talk to the producer. And the next day, Michael Lang called me and he said, Chip says we need you. I'm sending you $500 and an airline ticket. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and I flew out there. It was two weeks before. And they had just moved from their original spot where the town's council voted them out. You know, they were in another place building the stage and the town council had a meeting and said, you right. guys can't do it here. We don't want all those damn hippies all over our lawns. <laughs> <laughs> so they found Yasger's farm and they were just starting to build that stage at the bottom of that big alfalfa hillside. And so my job was once again, just to hang out and, and, and look at things and document them, you know? So all day long, I'd walk around, take pictures of, uh, you know, the hippie carpenters up there with their shirts off sawing and hammering boards. And they were building a big, almost like a wooden aircraft carrier at the bottom of this hillside of green alfalfa blowing in the wind like the waves. I mean, it really had a that kind of, and no one else around. I mean, just the sunshine, upstate New York. It was very much like being at summer camp. You know, I mean, I went to summer camp in upstate <laughs> New York, as a matter of fact. In the Adirondacks. And so I and then I go over to the hog farm, which was this commune from New Mexico. We're setting right. up the campground. I'd Wavy gravy. The, the beautiful young girls there, you know, making in they had a little kitchen made up where they cook food for themselves. And and I knew some of those people, got to know them, and, and I just walk around, go to the office where there'd be the people in the office, and I just I just take pictures, document whatever I saw. And, and I knew uh, Mel Lawrence was one of the principal guys. He was in charge of all the grounds, you know, and he was a very dear friend of mine from L.A. So I knew him and I knew Chipmunk and I knew a few people. And, and so for two weeks, I just walked around taking pictures. Well, one day I got there after a couple of weeks and there was about 10 or 20 people sitting right at the top of that hillside, yeah. way up there at the top. And I thought, that's odd. What the heck are what are those people doing sitting up there, you know? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute. That's right. There's going to be a big concert. <laughs> I took a lot track of that. And then the next day, there was maybe a couple thousand. And the next day, 400,000. I mean, suddenly, wham. And, and I, I had a rooming house about a mile down the road that ran behind the stage. And, and as soon as those 400,000 people got there, all the roads were packed. People parked on each side of the little dirt roads so that a car couldn't fit down the middle. And, and the middle was filled with people, thousands of hippies walking anyway. Walking. So I had I had a rented station wagon and it was parked behind the stage. And I lived in that for the next three days. Oh I couldn't God. get back to my room, you know. And um, God, just all day. I mean, I've spent most of the time on the stage. I walked around a little bit a couple of times and... Um, my job was just to document all that stuff happening. It was just amazing. Like, a, I'm sure you had an all-access pass. I sure did, yeah. What was your favorite performance? Well, I mean, gosh. I mean, starting with, I mean, I loved 
Joan Baez. I loved Arlo Guthrie. You know, yeah. I loved, I mean, the early stuff when it just started. I mean, um, yeah, because that was day one, right? Day one was folk the day. Night, the first night, yeah. First, uh, yeah. The first okay. guy who played, Richie, Richie Havens. R- Richie okay. Havens, yeah. Richie Havens opened the concert, you know, because he wasn't supposed to open the concert. And he didn't even want to, but they said, hey, the, ne- the acts right. have not arrived because they're coming in on helicopter. All the roads are closed. You got to get out there and play. And he played all the songs he knew and walked off stage. And they said, no, go back. The next act hasn't arrived play something else and he made up that song you know freedom freedom, freedom. so good wasn't that wonderful god yeah. what and a I mean, talent at that point when all those people were suddenly there it was you know we were peace and love hippies we were against the war that was the main thing you know i mean nixon and the war and all of that um we hated that idea of going to a foreign land and killing some strange people for and for what reason you know right Right. right. We, we were absolutely peace and love and brotherhood hippies. And um, it, it kind of, you know, it did remind me and a lot of people of like the like the Sioux Nation all got together in the valley and they never realized there were so many of them, you know, you know, and then they went out and, and took care of Custer, you know, <laughs> and it was kind of like that it was something you, you didn't put it together in a historical way, but it was a. It was an amazing thing. Like, wow, we never knew there were so many of us. Yeah. You know, I mean, in L.A., we were maybe a couple hundred people in the park, you know, but but thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands. thousands. And and everybody was a peace and love hippie. People were smoking grass, passing the joint and clapping and singing. And it, it was just beautiful, the vibe, you know. No fights, no arguments, no ugly anything, because we were all brothers, you know, and that was a wonderful thing. And and so all the actors, I mean, Crosby, Stills, Nash, I mean, I almost cry when I see them on the film. Stephen, just singing that first song all by himself. I mean, he starts the song, him and the guitar, and then the other two guys join in. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. I, I get tears in my eyes thinking about it, you know. Yeah. I mean, Shauna Now was great. I mean, I mean, I mean, every act. Dennis Joplin. Who else? I mean, Creedence Clearwater. The Who. My God. Oh, and yeah. the Jefferson Airplane. The Who and the Jefferson Airplane. You know, played like in the early morning. You know, and right. Then, so it was all amazing. And I had a front row seat. I was right smack in front, uh, or at the side of the stage. But then. Monday morning was was the amazing thing when Jimi Hendrix came out. And, I, you know, I don't know what the act was before him, but there probably was an hour. It, they probably ended up at four or five in the morning and then they were resetting the stage. I went and laid down in my in my uh, my car at the back, my station wagon. So I was kind of asleep and I heard this voice say, ladies and gentlemen, Jimi Hendrix. And I popped up. Grab my cameras and yeah. run up the back stairs. You, know? you can't miss that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, and and then uh, then he sang a few songs. I was I was leaning on an amp at the side of the stage, looking across the front of the stage. And then suddenly he started playing that solo Star Spangled Banner. Yes. And it was, uh, I used this word earlier, but gobsmacking. Well, I was gobsmacked. And I remember myself thinking, and I wonder if other people thought that, like, 
why is he playing that song? That's that's their song. That's the official. That's you know that's the people we're against. You know the military. That's the establishment the song. That's, yeah. Yeah. Why is he playing that? And then and then thinking, wait a minute. He's that's our song now. You know he's reclaiming that. He was. I mean, he was really electrifying was. it. There and the bombs a, bursting in air. Bombs bursting in air. And, you know, years later, I think about that so much. And, you know, when Francis Scott Key wrote that song, he was standing on a hillside watching the British bombard Fort McHenry. Right. He was standing there writing that down as the bombs burst in air. And and so Jimmy, when he played that and he put in all those sound effects, you know, I mean, he, the guns, the planes, the booms, he put, it made it so real. It was just, right. that right. was just a, a, an amazing singular moment in, in my life, for sure. And I, I wish we could ask him, well, his conga player that I saw a couple of years ago, we had a little on stage thing, survivors of Woodstock talking about it. And he said, you know, yeah, I shared a place with Jimmy the weeks before the concert. And he was practicing that song every day, Oh, which is, wow. That was an interesting piece of information. He yeah. didn't just pull it out of his, you know, like a, 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 he thought about it. He planned it. He knew what he was doing. And so was he, was he saying war is hell and putting all those sound effects in? Was he reclaiming it for our generation? Was he making an anti-government s- statement or, or a pro-hippie statement? What what was it? Maybe um, maybe all of those. Yeah. When we get when we get to the other side, we can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certainly going to ask him. I, I will do because <laughs> when I hear it, that's what makes me tear up. Yeah. You know, um, whether you you were frustrated with the establishment or you had immense pride in your country, either yes. way, it evokes a feeling. Yes, exactly. So whatever he aimed yeah. to do, I want to, I would dare to say he did it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there also, there's another thing. It was, it was just daylight had just broken. I mean, it was still sort of dawn. And that crowd of 400,000 people, 450, whatever, had shrunk to about 50,000, which is still a big crowd, but it was all in front of the stage. And that hillside that had been green alfalfa and was, and now, and then hundreds of thousands of people was now a muddy mess because it had rained. People left their soggy sleeping bags and blankets and they were, there was stuff laying. It looked like a civil war battlefield, you know, with the dead horses and soldiers. And you saw these piles of things and it was muddy and there was a smell that came oh. up because it was a cow field. You know, cows right. lived on that field and <laughs> once upon a time. And so all that was happening. And, and, the, and in the still of the morning, that singular guitar went out and bounced across away, you know, bounced on the, the, that hillside, huge speakers, right, up on, up on towers. And they echoed against the mountains and things that so there was a kind of a little echo in the air and it was just oh you know perfect not just the guy playing a guitar it was something wow and for those people that stayed and were still with it i I mean i'm sure at the time they were the worst for wear but now looking back just so happy they stayed yeah 
You know, I, I, I'm very curious about what other people thought. I, I mean, I've never come across anybody else really talk. I mean, some of those people in the crowd, I mean, did anyone, I've never heard anybody comment on how they felt. Yeah. When that played, except for you right now, that was a good take, you know, I mean, whichever side you were on, that meant something to you. 100%. 100%. And I know that it was a very polarizing time. Yeah. Um, you know, and for him to even dare to play that was a sign mm -hmm. of patriotism. Yeah. But to play it the way he did was like, I, I love how you said, reclaiming it. Yeah. A new generation. There's a new yeah. ethos. Yeah. We aren't liking what's happening right now in the world. We aren't yeah. we aren't for it. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm gonna take this song and I'm gonna I'm gonna play it the way I need to play it. Exactly. It was very moving. Yeah. Very moving. Because it, you know, it's a very emotional song anyway. Yes. Yes. You know, and then but then I remember I mean my first like that's that's their song. That's the that's the establishment song, and we are anti-establishment. And then to have that flip over and say no. It's ours now, you know. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Wow. Well, that was the moment. I think that's that moment is what made Woodstock. It 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 mm. made it it launched it into mythical proportions. I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say. I For it so. to end the Good way it did. It. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, there were many moments though. You know. Uh, uh, okay, but the guy, give me an F. Vietnam rag. Oh, oh, um, country Joe McDonald. Country Joe yeah. McDonald. Yeah. That's right. That was a wonderful moment, too, getting the whole crowd singing that. You know, what are we fighting for? Yeah, we didn't talk about America. We didn't talk about the Eagles. No. Can we do a part two sometime soon? Yeah, sure we can. <laughs> I yeah, would we, love we it. We got the 60s. We'll get the 70s. Next we'll get time. the 70s. Henry, I would love it. I want to hear about the Eagles. I want to hear more about Crosby, Stills, Nash. Sure. I want to hear about Geffen. I want to hear We'll do that. It was so much fun. I'm glad we made it work. Oh, man. Aside from being one of the greatest rock photographers, he's also got to be one of the nicest guys I've ever met. So I really hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Henry as much as I did. And if you want to check out some of Henry's work, go to the Morrison Hotel Gallery website. I'll put the URL in my show notes. And folks, if you're in a giving mood this holiday season, I would absolutely love it if you would rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts or even leave a review. I mean, provided it's good, of course. <laughs> But thanks again for listening, and we will catch you at the next episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.